we do invite the Lord Jesus to come to us and to be with us and to reign sovereignly as the only King and Lord and Savior in this place and in our lives. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to you for all that you have done and accomplished, even those things that we do not fully understand or comprehend. Not to the fullest, Lord. For if we understood it fully, we would fall down. We would fall down in service and in worship. And there'd be no strength left on us. I pray, my Father, that you would be with us and that you give us understanding this, this morning. And do you give us ability to, to receive what you have for us. We worship you, Lord, and, and we prepare our hearts for you to teach us today. Come, Holy God, Holy Lord, Holy Spirit. Come three in one, one in three. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you, uh, if you happen to see me sneeze or cough or whatever, don't be alarmed. For some strange reason, I seem like I've picked up a bug. And when I mentioned it to the team praying for me in the back, they said, good, we'll have a short sermon today. <laughs> so that may indeed be true. You may end up having a short sermon today. But I do believe uh, I do have a message for you. I, I really wish I could uh, expand it tremendously and teach you in every way. But um, the reality is I only hear half of what I should hear. My ears are all plugged up. It has nothing to do with my mouth, but... Uh, <laughs> I may not be sure what I'm saying, <laughs> so the Lord is in charge, and so I'll, I'll leave it to, to the Lord. Um, let me just tell you just briefly so that you know, and as some of you know me well, but some of you don't know me as well, but uh, I've always, I, I know I'm a perfectionist. I, I tend to be a perfectionist in everything that I do. Uh, there's a good side of being a perfectionist because you, you give it all and, you, um, and you, you really try very, very hard when you're a perfectionist. Perfectionism has another side of it which really is a killer because nobody's perfect. Amen? And no matter how hard you try and, and how hard you do things, you're not. And so most pastors have a little bit of perfectionism in them. They think they're going to preach a sermon that is going to convert the masses. 
Um, that's what I thought when I first became a priest. Um, but the thing I've learned about perfectionism through, uh, through my life, which really was revelation to me, is that perfectionism is really a cry for love. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. A, a perfectionist is doing all that he or she is doing just so that he can get a pat in the back that says, you're loved, you're okay, you are wonderful, we love you. That's what perfectionists do. That's real, really the thing behind it, and we can go all the way back to our childhoods and, and deal with what makes us perfectionists. But one of my prayers to the Lord has always been, Lord, uh, teach me to fail. I want to learn to fail. I want to learn to fail because when I fail, I will just grow in more dependence on you. So, so one of my prayers has, has been at times, Lord, let me fail. I just hope this morning won't be the day. But uh, the, the fact is that the Lord doesn't really let you fail because I think it's about Him. And when, you, when all you do and all you say is about Him, it's really not about you. And so He has to go beyond you to use you for His kingdom. And so this morning I, I come to you a little broken, I guess, with runny nose and, and, and ears that are a little plugged and, and perhaps a sermon that may seem a little disjointed in places, but uh, I still come to you because I had no other choice. I told my wife, I'm going to call in sick. And she said, but you're the pastor. <laughs> so I had to be here. I'm kidding. <clears throat> um, to this morning, I want to move away a little bit from the Gospel of Mark, which is where I've been preaching and, and teaching, because I believe very much that Sundays should be all about Jesus. And so I always concentrate on the Gospel, because ultimately what I want to know and what I want to hear is what Jesus says and what Jesus did. As much as I appreciate all of the prophets and, and, and all of the sages and all of the wonderful books, as much as I appreciate Paul and Peter and all of that, I really want to always focus my life on what does Jesus say. And so on Sundays, I generally always go to the gospel and I teach you from the gospel because ultimately that's what I want and that's what I want you to receive as well. However, this morning I'm going to move away from the gospel and I want you to open your Bibles, please, to the letter of St. Paul uh, to the Ephesians. The letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. It is also the second letter, the second lesson that is in your inserts if you want to... Uh, if you want to look at that in your inserts, but I always recommend that you bring your Bibles because I always want to at times change from one place to another. But today we're going to deal with the letter to the Ephesians. Now let me, uh, let me say something brief about the letter to the Ephesians for those of you who are not as familiar with it. Ephesus was a city in Asia Minor. And St. Paul spent a lot of years there in, in Ephesus, and, and he did a lot of excellent work in, in Ephesus. 
but in his last journey, as he stopped in Ephesus, or he stopped actually at Troas, uh, or one of the ports, I don't remember exactly which one it was, he stopped at one of the, the ports near Ephesus, the Ephesians came down from the church, and they met with Paul. He was on his way uh, to Jerusalem, and there was a prophet that had indicated that Paul was going to be bound, and that he was going to be imprisoned, and that he eventually was going to be killed. And, and as the Ephesians come down to meet with Paul at, at the port, one of the things that St. Paul says to the Ephesians is that they needed to guard themselves because wolves were going to be coming among them. There were wolves that were going to be coming at his departure, and if indeed the prophecy held true, he was never going to come back to Ephesus. So the warning to the church of Ephesus was that they were going to experience uh, a season and they were going to experience a persecution that uh, indicated that wolves were coming upon them. Indeed, Paul goes to Jerusalem and indeed Paul gets arrested in the temple and, uh, and eventually he appeals to Caesar and he's on his way to Rome where he eventually dies because uh, Caesar, Nero Caesar, condemns him to death together with Peter. But in one of those imprisonments, because Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians is written from prison, uh, we don't know for sure in which imprisonment it was. I believe that it was probably in Caesarea when he was waiting to be extradited to Rome. But it could have been from Rome as well. But whenever I read the letter to the Ephesians, I read it as a letter to wolf-proof the church. It's a letter to wolf-proof the church. And so he deals with all kinds of issues in this letter, uh, including the armor of God, putting on the armor of God, and explaining all of those things related to the armor of God. And he deals with many other things in the letter, but the intent of Paul, in my opinion, is to wolf-proof the church. And the church needs wolf-proofing today. Amen? It needs wolf proving because wolves, savage wolves, will come against the church sooner or later. And I'll tell you why I believe that is because the Bible is the word of God, and we're not going to be able to avoid the revelations in the in the book of Revelations. We're not going to be able to avoid the prophecies that John received at Patmos. And when you read it, you understand that the church will go through a season where enemies will rise against the church. So it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be in a hundred years. But one day the church is going to be persecuted, seriously persecuted. And so the church constantly needs to be wolf-proofed. And so I pray that to wolf, wolf proved, okay, tested, or prepared to face the wolves, okay? Now, I want to deal with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and on, and when you read that chapter, it is very clear that what Paul is talking about, uh, uh, 
what he's talking about so clear is that there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. Okay? And always they had enmity against each other. And the Jews insulted the Gentiles and the Gentiles insulted the Jews. And one of the things that is so clear in this chapter from 11 on is that St. Paul is saying there is no longer Gentiles not in the church and there's no longer Jews not in the church but there's one family all in Christ. Okay? So those identifiers that tend to divide all of us and we all have things in us that tend to be divisory. Paul is saying in Christ under Christ, under the headship of Christ, there is no longer this nationality, that nationality, that color, that color, that whatever. In Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are from, or what you have done. Once you come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there is but one body of Christ. There is but one people of God. There is but one. There is no longer the things that we tend to see divisory among us at times. So let that be very, very clear to all of us that under the headship of Christ, if we are all in submission to Christ, and it's not just lip service, there is no longer the divisions that sometimes we see in the world, or even among human people, human nature. In Christ and under Christ, there is but one. The head being Christ, and all of us being the body of Christ. Amen? You get it? Let it be very clear. You cannot be divided from one another if your head is Jesus Christ. You cannot be in submission to Jesus Christ and to your own passions, and to your own prejudices, and in your own stuff that we carry. Under Christ there is but one body of Christ. And so we are all there and we are one with each other in that respect. That's what Paul is dealing with in this chapter. And there's all kinds of directions I would love to go in this chapter because there's so much. I, I wish I could dedicate a lot of time just focusing on those words in this brief passage, just on those words that says, in the flesh, in Christ, in the Spirit, and just focusing on the ends. I would love to just develop a whole sermon on just looking at every time that Paul in this portion speaks about that. But I want to go in a little bit of a different direction, and I do not want to make it too long, so there's a lot that you may need to go back and read on your own and, and learn. But one of the things as I'm reading the passage is as I'm studying and praying and, and dreaming about it, because I mean, at night I, I think of my sermon on Sunday, you know, and, and, uh, and I always ask the Lord. But one of the things that come to my mind is that ultimately, uh, or, or lately, we hear so much about identity theft. Right? There, there's so much about identity theft all over the place. People steal 
the identification or the social security or the information of an individual and they can create tremendous havoc in the life of a person. I have heard story after story of people whose credits are ruined and though there are some insurances in the bank and you may get your money back, the disaster that can be done in some people's lives are tremendous. And it may take you years before you fix all the stuff that happens and can be done to your credit. And we all know, at least in America, you don't have credit or you have poor credit and you're in trouble. Okay? So identity theft is a big issue. In fact, numbers of companies have created insurance for identity theft. And there's all kinds of things you can buy to protect you from identity theft. Just this past week or two weeks ago, somebody somehow got a hold of one of our checks at the church, a check that we wrote in 2006. And they wrote a check against our account for $86,000. We don't have $86,000. If it had been more within our range, it might have passed. But uh, it was a check uh, written in another country, and I don't know how it happened, but, um, but it does happen. And, and we went to the bank, and we had to go through the process of closing the accounts, uh, opening new accounts, and so on and so on. But there's all kinds of stuff going on. The more we are involved in the uh, Wi-Fi and, and, and media and, and all of these things, the more we're going to start seeing things happen that are so foreign to most of us who are accustomed to writing handwritten checks. But identity theft is, is a big issue today in our lives. But it's not just stealing your identity, it's the fact that Many of us live with certain identifiers. We live with certain identifiers. We identify ourselves politically. Hi, my name is Jose Poch, I am a Democrat. Or I am Jose Poch, I'm a Republican. Or hello, I'm Jose Poch, I am a Green Party or whatever. We also identify, we use identifiers uh, to identify ourselves with uh, social issues. Hi, I'm Jose Poch, I'm a, a, a pro-life. Or I am pro-abortion. Or I am gay. Or I am this. We use all these identifiers. We identify ourselves, uh, hi, I am an Anglican, not an Episcopal. Let's make the difference clear here. I'm an Anglican, not an Episcopal. We use so many identifiers. Uh, I'm non-denominational. I am a Christian versus you denominational people. I do a lot of counseling. Uh, whenever I can, I do a lot of counseling. And I counsel people from all different walks of life. And... Um, there was a young man I was counseling, and, and still we're very, very good friends. And he lives a celibate life, but he knows that he has uh, a tendency towards same sex. 
but he has chosen Christ, and therefore he's living a, a celibate life. And he was telling me in the counseling uh, that, you know, some people will say, hi, I am such and such, I'm gay. And I was saying to him, um, why, why does anybody need to identify themselves by any of these things? by your sexual preference or by your denomination or by the one identifier we all ought to have under Christ is my name is Jose Poch I am a child of God I am not what I do sexually I am not who I vote for politically I am not what the ideologies in me may be I am a man who has chosen to live by the authority and in the authority of Jesus Christ. And all other identifiers have to come under that one identifier. I am a child of God. Sinner. Redeemed. Loved. Forgiven. Because I'm as broken as anybody is. I'm as broken as they come. And we have all these things that we deal with that are identifiers that we really ought to put in a bag, close it, and throw it in the trash. Because there's no room for some of these identifiers if you're under the one identifier, which is Jesus Christ is the head of my life. He's my Lord, my Savior, my King, and that informs everything I am beneath that. When I read this letter to the Ephesians, especially these verses 11 through 22, I find that we, I find here, I want you to notice a couple of things that are very, very important. The, the, the passage begins with, Gentiles, remember who you were. Remember who you were. And, and the two magic words for me in this whole section is, in the past, this, and then he comes and he says, but now. Okay? In the past, this, but now. To me, that's the key to the whole passage. Uh, in fact, if you would read it with me, please, let me just read it to you, uh, and, and you follow me. It says, therefore... Remember, and I, I'm reading from the New King James, so it may be a little different from yours. But it says, verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. And one of the immediate things I want to tell you is, you are not who people say you are. The Gentiles who are being called uh, the uncircumcised pigs, kind of. The uncircumcised, rejected, far away from God people. By the circumcised who felt that they were the ones with the Lord. The Jews would call the, un the, 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 the Gentiles the uncircumcised. So the first thing I want to say to you is you are not who others may say that you are. Okay, those identifiers they may bring and label you by, by whichever side, you need to be able to reject yeah, that. 
Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, that's what you were. Listen, when they became Christians, they didn't change nationalities. They were still Romans, and they were still Syrians, and they were still uh, whatever made them Gentiles, they were still that. And yet Paul says, you were once, like they are no longer Gentiles. That you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. At that time, you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers from the covenant of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's what you were. That's what you were. Every one of those things that says you Gentiles were without this are precisely the things that the Jews could say, I am with. I am with the covenant. I am close to God. I am, I have hope in God. All of these things that the Gentiles are said by Paul that they were not, is something that the Jews could claim they are, but they could also be very wrong. So you were not people of God. You were not. You were Gentiles. And then verse, four, verse 13 has that magic word, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both and has broken down that division, that middle wall of division between us, abolishing in the flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments containing ordinances to create one man from the two and making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. And through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, verse 19, you are no longer what you were before. You are no longer what you were before. Speaking to the Gentiles. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, the building of temple, the building of worship to God is joined together, etc., etc., etc. You can read the whole thing. You were, but now you're not. You were, but now you're not. Listen, the reality is that all of us were something before Christ. The reality is that all come to Christ having first been without Christ. The reality is that some of us have very lived a very sinful life. The reality is that some of us don't remember when we were in that kind of life before. The reality is that 
uh, many of us have grown always since we were child in a Christian home, and we can never, like these Gentiles of the early church, be able to identify that was my old life versus this is my new life. The most we may have been able, or the most that we have struggled, is how do I live committed to Christ versus not committed to Christ, like real Christianity versus cultural Christianity. That may have been the most we have struggled. But most of us didn't come from a pagan society into a Christian society like these people were. But all of us were something before Christ. I, I just want to I just want to give you this because I don't I mean I, I have so many things I would want to say but I don't feel this is the right thing but I want you to understand that whatever you were you no longer are that what changes a person's status or a person's identifier is the blood of Jesus. That's the bottom line. All of us have a history. All of us have a history that we really don't care to hear. But what changes our histories and what changes our past and what changes the things we have done in our lives that we really want to keep out of everybody's knowledge is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has the ability to erase and, and account as null all that has ever happened in the past in our lives. It is Jesus who becomes our peace. It is the blood of Jesus that erases all that we have been in the past. All that we have experienced in the past and all that we have ever done in the past. Those identifiers don't matter because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus changes the game. The blood of Jesus gives us new life. The life, the, the blood of Jesus gives us all that we need, need to live a brand new life without looking to our past, but always looking to the present or to the future. The blood of Jesus changes what you have been and what you have done. And it transcends in importance everything you have been in the past and everything you have done in your life. It transcends it. It's the powerful blood of Jesus capable of cleansing us of all our past. Before God and before other people and be even within us. So that we don't have to live our lives walking backwards and always looking at who I have been when there's such a beautiful life ahead that I need to turn around about. The blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the cross of Jesus 
has the ability to give life to the sinner and make the sinner a saint. I, I want to, I, I have an application for all of this. I, I have a simple application that I want to give you this morning. I hope you take this to heart. I want you to think about this. Listen, if the blood of Jesus has made you new, I want to tell you, stop telling the old stories. If the life of Jesus has made you new, stop telling the stories of the old life. The only time that I would recommend to you that you tell friends or anybody your whole life is when you're doing confession or when you're sharing your testimony with the hope of helping somebody walk with Christ. Other than that, don't ever bring up your past to yourself, to your heart, to your spirit, to your soul. What you have been, you no longer are. Stop telling the stories and even dwelling on the details of the stories. You don't have to share with anybody what you have done because that was before Christ. The only thing I want, I want you to have a new story and a new identifier. I want you to tell the story of Jesus and what he has done in your life. That needs to be our story today, not the old story. I don't want you to live in your past, because Jesus has changed that. You have but one thing to live under, and it's a headship of Jesus Christ. Stop bringing back the past. We all have a past. There's not one of us here with a squeaky clean past. Not one of us. There's never been a human being with a squeaky clean past except for Jesus Christ. And he still loved you so much that he poured his blood from the cross to cover you and cleanse away that you may receive the complete and total forgiveness of all of your sins. So why do we want to remove back the old stories? You're no longer who you were before. When you were unbelievers, you were away from Christ. You did the things of the flesh. You did whatever occurred to you when you were without Christ. Today you are with Christ. Start telling the story of the mighty God who so loved you that he gave his son who died on the cross for you so that you no longer have to live in that past. You were such and such, but now you are. Identifiers. There's but one identifier I want to recommend to you. I'm a child of God. Not by choice, but because God so loved me and so loved you that he reached out into your world 
and into your heart and tagged it to himself. It is by grace and grace alone and the love of God has been put upon you and the Holy Spirit has moved you to embrace what God had to offer. And that is Jesus, his son. We're not Christians because we made the choice. We're Christians because he made the choice and we just came under his embrace. So what you wear, it's done. It's gone. It's finished. It's who you are today in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, and for Christ Jesus. <coughs> Amen? Please think about this. Appropriate this and tell the best story that you can about Jesus Christ. Stand with me, please. <laughs>